Well, amen. Father, it is indeed uh, a desire for us to hear from you. So speak to our hearts this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You brought a Bible, say yes. And let me invite you to open it with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 13. If you're visiting with us, we've been going through this Gospel verse by verse, looking at the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. We took a break for the past couple of weeks because of Palm Sunday as well as Easter Sunday. But this morning, we pick back up where we left off in Luke, chapter 13. We were in the midst of a series entitled, I'm Okay with God. You know, the Bible teaches that you and I as followers of Jesus are called to make disciples. So we are to go forth and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who are far from God, telling them about his death, burial, and resurrection as payment for their sin, and then encouraging people to repent of their sin and place their faith in Jesus Christ. So that is a part of being a follower of Jesus. But as you and I are sharing the gospel, we receive all kinds of statements. In fact, we run into people who believe that they are okay with God. And as we've already seen through Luke's gospel, chapter 13, there are some who believe they are okay with God because they're not experiencing some grand tragedy in their life. So they're basically like, well, nothing's blowing up right now, so me and God must be okay. And then there are some individuals who believe that they are okay with God simply because they believe God exists. And so when sharing the gospel, oftentimes I run into somebody and they'll say, yeah, I believe that God exists. I'm good to go. But they do not have a genuine relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, there are some who believe that they are good people and therefore they are good with God. But the Bible teaches that there is no one good, no, not one. So individuals literally are fooling themselves. And so oftentimes they are going in the wrong direction. Now, it's on that particular backdrop that we begin to look this morning in our text where we see the Lord Jesus Christ describing to the disciples as well as to you and I the truths about the kingdom of God. Now, here's what's amazing. Those who were of Jewish descent following the Lord Jesus Christ were looking for a Messiah because the Old Testament had promised that one was coming. But they were looking for a Messiah who would come and set up a literal kingdom upon the earth. And so whenever they began to look at Jesus as the Messiah and then began to take inventory of his following, they were not impressed. In fact, if you think about it, you and I would probably not have been so impressed ourselves. We would see Jesus walking around and his closest disciples were just a ragtag group of men who used to be fishermen and who used to be ex-tax collectors. So they were very small in their size. They were very small in their influence. And so if we began to look at that, we would think, how in the world could Jesus be the long-awaited Messiah? And so Jesus, in that context, with those individuals around him, many who thought they were okay with God, began to share with them truths about the kingdom. And that's what we pick up in Luke's gospel, chapter 13, beginning in verse 18. So you've got it there. Say amen. Let me invite you to stand with me in honor of God's word. Look at verse 18. Jesus was saying, what's the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It's like a mustard seed which a man took and threw into his own garden. And it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. And he again said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. And he was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to Jesus, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. 
And once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begins to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us, then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. And then you'll begin to say, well, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves being thrown out. And they will come from east and west and north and south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last." Let's bow together. Father, uh, this is your word, not an easy portion of scripture to preach by any stretch of the imagination. So I pray that your grace would uh, continue to sustain me, even as, as it has already the past two services, and that you would just speak truth into our hearts. God, I pray that every individual in this room this morning would be challenged by the text of scripture to examine themselves to see whether or not they are of the faith. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that the enemy will not have duped people into believing that they are following you when in fact they are not. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, convict the hard heart, break the hard heart with the hammer of your word, draw people to salvation. This is you, God. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would work and we'll give you glory for it. And it's in Christ's name that we pray and everybody said, amen. And you can be seated. So a couple of truths about the kingdom and I'm just going to jive right in and give you the very first thing that I want you to note. I want you to first of all see the grand nature of the kingdom. The grand nature of the kingdom. Look at verses 18 and 19 again. The Bible says Jesus was saying, what's the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and threw into his own garden. And it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air nested in its branches. Now the very best exposition of this verse is to note that Jesus is comparing the kingdom of God to a mustard seed. Now, the mustard seed was used in Jewish life to describe something that was super small but possessed powerful potential. The black mustard seed was so small that it could be mistaken for a speck of dirt. In fact, yesterday, you don't know this, but I went to Lowe's on hunt for some mustard seeds. My goal was to hold up a bag of mustard seeds, but apparently they're so small I couldn't find them. The small mustard seed holds the potential to grow a tree that could be somewhere between 15 to 30 feet tall, as I found in my study. Now, Jesus continues the description of the mustard seed uh, and the tree, saying that the birds of the air nested in its branches. And that is a very strong statement that we're going to see in just a moment. Now, the first description of Jesus I want you to notice about the kingdom of God and the fact that it is grand is because of the scope of the kingdom, the scope of the kingdom. This small seed grows into a large tree. This large tree houses the birds of the air. Now, the correlation then. This relatively small beginning of God's kingdom on earth, this ragtag group of people that Jesus has with him, he is giving them the gospel of the kingdom. They are not impressive to the physical eye. But just like a mustard seed, these small beginnings of the kingdom possess powerful potential. And then the last phrase of verse 19, he says, the birds of the air nested in its branches. Now, when I first read that, I'm like, what? Birds of the air nested in its branches. Why is this important? Why this particular phrase from the Lord Jesus? He's actually quoting from the Old Testament. 
In fact, the phrase can be found in Ezekiel chapter 17 as well as Ezekiel chapter 24. And whenever Ezekiel was talking about many branches in chapter 17 and chapter 24, he was actually talking about many nations. And so the Lord Jesus Christ here is saying that the kingdom of God, which is relatively small on earth in Luke 13, literally is being planted and will eventually become a home to all the nations of the world. In other words, the kingdom of God is not set aside simply for those of Jewish descent. The king of the Jews, the Lord Jesus Christ, would through his death, burial, and resurrection provide salvation to every Jew who would receive him by faith, but also he would open up the gate so that those of every tongue, every nation, and every tribe of people could come in and find a home. And it is true, John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world. And uh, in the New Testament there in John 3, 16, when the Bible says God so loved the world, the word world literally means the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So how great would the scope of God's kingdom be? It would be so great that Jesus Christ would roll out a red carpet to the nations of the world. And if you can, for just a moment, picture that red carpet being rolled out from the uh, resurrected tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is rolling out the carpet to the nations, and there on the carpet is etched those words which read, Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And wouldn't you know that within 40 years of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, a single lifetime that the gospel had reached all the great metropolitan centers of the Roman Empire and had even reached innumerable villages and trade routes that connected those cities. So the kingdom of God is grand because of its scope, but also the kingdom of God is grand because of its supernatural influence. Notice this in verse 20 in your Bible. And he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leaven. Now, most of us know what leaven is. It is simply a remnant of dough from a previous baking, which has fermented. A woman would take that small bit of leaven and place it into some flour. And before you know it, it would influence the entire lump of dough. Now, this describes, once again, something that starts off small but eventually takes over completely. So it describes the kingdom of God. It is magnifying the supernatural uh, tendency and influence of the kingdom of God upon the earth. One commentator notes it this way, and please listen closely. It's a paragraph, but I want to give it to you because it's good. The kingdom of God is both spiritual and earthly. Spiritual in that people may become citizens of the kingdom by trusting in Jesus as their own personal Savior and King. And earthly in that Jesus will one day sit on a literal throne and establish a literal administration over the entire world. At that time, the kingdom of God will have come. Evil will have been vanquished. The earth will enjoy peace, justice, tranquility, and fulfillment. With the removal of the curse, there will be complete communication between creation and the creator. So as we look at this text of scripture, the mustard seed and the leaven, 
You and I are challenged here to not allow the size of the kingdom of God in the present to obscure the grand nature of the kingdom of God in the future. The kingdom of God is grand in both its scope as well as its supernatural influence. Now, fast forward to where we currently stand today, 2013. If you were to look upon our culture, you and I would probably make the assumption that the kingdom of darkness is actually winning. We would make the assumption as we look at the news and see what people are voting on and things that they are arguing over, it seems that secularism is on the rise and it continues to take more and more ground. And as secularism rises, it seems that the New Testament church is growing smaller and smaller. However, do not allow the size of the New Testament church upon the globe to absolutely cause you to forget who the king of the kingdom of light is. The king is the Lord Jesus Christ. And although it may potentially seem small to your eyes, know this, there is supernatural influence in the gospel of the kingdom of God. And there's coming a day in the near future, I pray sooner than later, when the Lord Jesus Christ himself will come again to the earth. And when he comes, he will set up a throne upon the earth and he will rule and reign forever and ever and ever. And you and I, who have placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, are a part of that kingdom. So as you look at the size, don't allow it to blind you to the reality of what the Lord Jesus is actually up to here on the earth. Now, as I study this text, did y'all out there say yes? As I study this text of Scripture as a preacher, because I is one, I begin to think to myself, I have written on my board in the office, the uh, Estimated numbers of people who live within Hall, Habersham County, White County, other counties all around us, who are without God, without faith. They are out of the kingdom of light. They are in the darkness. They do not know the Lord. And there are thousands of them. And it is grand and great in its size. And then I come to Concord Baptist Church and I look at our fellowship and I begin to see in comparison to the darkness, our church is oh so small. And yet, to the naked eye, it would seem that Concord Baptist Church lacks the potential to make an impact. However, to the eyes of faith, we understand that we hold the grandest news on the face of the earth in the gospel. And we can take this gospel and by faith cast it out, scatter it out into our communities and see the gospel influence person after person after person because the red carpet is still rolled out and people can still come into the kingdom. We should be a part of that. should be sharing the good news. Now we move furthest, or further rather, into the second half of the sermon. Now everybody look at me real quick, eyeball to eyeball. This is where it gets ugly. Are y'all listening say yes? This is where the message moves from excitement to fear. From this is awesome to I'm scared to death. This is where it leads. Because now we're going to note the grand invitation of the kingdom the grand invitation of the kingdom. So what do we notice about the grand invitation? Several things. Here's the first. There will be more who will reject it than receive it. There will be more who reject the invitation than receive it. Look at verse 22 through 23. 
The Bible says Jesus was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? Are there just a few who are being saved? What a question. There's great curiosity within this man about spiritual things. He, like many others, was curious about how many people would actually be saved. Now, we know from Scripture that more people will actually reject Jesus than those who will trust in Jesus for salvation. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, 13, and 14, Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. The gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Now, most people will enter the wide gate which leads to eternal hell, and only a few people will enter through the narrow gate, which leads to eternal life. There will be more who reject the invitation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There will be more who reject it than who will receive it. We also notice the grand invitation into the kingdom, that the entryway into the kingdom is narrow. It is narrow. Look at verse 24 in your Bible. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Now, the word here for strive is a Greek word where we get the idea of agonizing in the English language. It literally is the word agonizomai, where we get this idea. It is a heavy word, carrying it with it, uh, the idea of exerting great energy. Now, this by no means is a request of the Lord Jesus to work real hard for your own salvation. That would actually contradict the whole of Scripture. For a person is not saved by their works, but rather a person is saved through the atoning death of Jesus Christ on the cross as payment for one's sin. So what does this speak of? What is this striving? This striving speaks of the intensity to which you and I pursue the person of Jesus Christ by faith. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So Jesus himself is the doorway into the kingdom of God. And if we seek any other way into the kingdom of God, we will not be able to find entrance. And so Jesus says, strive, agonize, uh, exert great energy to make sure you're going through the narrow door. Make sure that you have, listen, reached out with great intensity by faith and grabbed hold of the person of Jesus Christ for salvation salvation and no other thing and no other person. The way is narrow. If you don't come by Christ, you will not come. Now, whenever we begin to share this gospel message into uh, our current culture, uh, folks are not big fans of the fact that the way is so narrow. In fact, sharing the gospel on occasion in the past, somebody has said, Levi, you just think all them Baptists, they're the only ones that are going to heaven. Nope. It's even more narrow than that. Not all the Baptists are getting in. You see, ladies and gentlemen, we are not saved because of our denominations. Uh, whenever we get to heaven, the Lord does not pull out a filing cabinet to find out what denomination you are a part of. There is no filing cabinet. And listen, you are not saved by clinging to anything else other than Christ. 
And so a person is not saved who grabs hold of Muhammad. A person is not saved who grabs hold of Confucius. A person is not saved who grabs hold of Buddha. A person is not saved who grabs hold of any other person. They are only saved unless they trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, if you're not holding the hand of the Lord Jesus with both of your hands by faith, then you have not genuinely come to faith in Christ. It is not Christ plus these other things. It is not, let me fill my hands up with baptism and church membership and do these good things and do that. You're not saved by what you do. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. If you do not strive to enter through that narrow door you will not enter it's the only way and as we share this and as we preach this and share the gospel specifically with people it is amazing when I ask them if you think you were to die today where do you feel like you'd spend eternity they're like heaven tell me why and they immediately begin to talk about where they go to church they talk about their baptism that is not salvation if there's no mention of Christ alone you are not saved and what is fearful is that some of you are listening to me preach this morning. And if I asked you the question, you would be like, well, I was baptized when I was a kid. It does not matter. Christ alone. Grab hold of him for salvation. If you're holding on to anything else, you will find it is a rope that will burn in hell. That's where it goes. Strive to enter the narrow door. Um... Hey, these messages aren't easy. Y'all all right? It's pretty amazing. Whenever you go verse by verse, you kind of get messed up because you can't skip over stuff. Y'all listening? And uh, man, it's like, good night, Lord. I've been preaching on hell for like, you know, 50 days. You know what I'm saying? Bring me out. Bring me out. And that's the thing, too. Like, you listen to uh, me preach and, you know, some people, maybe you're visiting. I don't know. And you're like, I don't like that guy. It ain't even me saying it. It's like, this is... If you got a red letter edition, these are red letters. You know what I'm saying? This is the Lord Jesus talking, man. All right. It's like I'm just a mailman. <laughs> I don't write the mail, just deliver it. All right, here we go. Keep on rolling with this idea of the invitation. And here's here's a scary concept. The invitation will be closed. The invitation will be closed. Now, it's true that the red carpet into the kingdom of God is currently rolled out for all the nations. But there will come a day when the red carpet will actually be rolled up and the invitation will be over. Look at your Bible in verse 25. Scripture says, once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door. Stop there for just a moment. Notice that. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door. There's a permanence in this statement. The door is shut. Some of you know this, may, maybe you don't, but I used to work at Six Flags over Georgia when I was a, a smaller kid, and I'm a grown man now. And uh, anyway, when I was 15, I started working at Six Flags over Georgia. I was kind of the trash man. I swept up garbage and carried out the garbage and uh, cleaned up restrooms and everything else. Y'all out there? <laughs> but the reason that I worked at Six Flags was because I got to go to Six Flags for free. It's like anytime I want to go, I can just go to Six Flags which I thought would be awesome. <laughs> but I found when you work there, it ain't all that cool. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I do remember on one occasion, at least, going to Six Flags and standing in line, getting ready to get on one of those rides. I can't remember which one it was, Superman, Mindbender, you know, one of them. 
Uh, I forgot the name of that one. Where you go into the, uh, now I'm just rambling. But anyway, so I'm standing in line. And it's getting close to closing time. And you know how you etch your way up there and you're just like, uh-oh, uh-oh, man, it's fixing to be over. It's fixing to be over. It's fixing to be over. I got to get on the ride. I got to get on the ride. And then the guy who works the ride, which that's a real hard job, <laughs> come sweep some streets, bro. That's what I did. He gets up from his little seat. And he comes over and he grabs the chain and pulls it right in front of me, blocking me from getting on the ride. All I could think to myself was, this guy's a punk. Y'all listen. <laughs> You would too. Are y'all listening? Now, whenever I was reading this text and studying for it, for some reason that came to my mind. Because reality is there are many people who are just like that when it comes to Christ. They've heard the message of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, his payment for sin, but they think, I, I'll wait a little bit while longer before I come. I need to know some more. I need to do some more stuff, but eventually I'll get on the ride. However, there's coming a time that you don't know about, nor do I know about, when the entryway will be roped off and you will be outside of the kingdom and you will have missed the invitation. And we don't know when that time is, when Jesus returns indeed, but some of you will breathe your very last breath and the invitation will be over. The invitation is going to be closed. It's going to be closed. It's a grand invitation now, but one day the carpet, which is red, will be rolled up. And then notice another truth about the grand invitation. When it is too late, some will beg to enter. When it is too late, some will beg to enter. Look at verse 25. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us. Open up. Then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you're from. And what a frightening scene Jesus has spoken to us about the closing of the invitation. And can't you picture it this morning? People in a panic, people shaken with the knowledge that the door's been closed on them. And so they pound on the door repeatedly. Please, Lord, open the door. Lord, open the door. And I find it interesting that Jesus uses the phrase in verse 25, Lord, open up to us. These individuals on the outside of the kingdom are banging on the door saying, Lord, open up. And yet Jesus says to us in Matthew's gospel, there will be many who call me Lord, Lord, who will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And then in verse 26, notice again, then you'll begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and we taught in your streets. See, Jesus affirms the fact that many will think they're part of the kingdom because they had some affiliation with Jesus. Most believe they were affiliated with God and the Lord Jesus because of their Jewish heritage. They were in Jerusalem, in fact, and they also ate and drank with Jesus. They heard his teaching. And because of all of this, they thought certain they were good to go. I'm a Jew. I've heard about Jesus. I've listened to Jesus. I've walked with Jesus. I've ate with Jesus. And yet they're on the outside. The application to us is very simple today. There are some individuals who believe that they are good to go and good with God because they have some type of affiliation with Jesus. Many may believe that they are good with God because their families are considered to be Christian families. So they think, I'm born in a Christian nation here in America. My family is Christian. My grandparents, my parents, surely I must be good to go as well. 
Some people affiliate themselves with the person of Jesus because they've actually been in the presence of the Lord in the context of a church worship service. You have sensed the presence of the Lord and you knew that he was in the building. You've heard his word taught from this pulpit, maybe from other pulpits. You've seen the Lord work in the lives of other people, radically changing their lives. You have, like those in verse 25, have had great privileges to the truth of Jesus Christ. However, listen, this is what is frightening. Some of you will be standing outside the gate, banging on the door saying, Lord, open up to me. Verse 27, and he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. See, from the most tender-hearted person to ever walk the face of the earth, Jesus will look into the eyes of some who are begging and say, depart. And when it's too late, the beggar will not be granted entrance. Now, what else do we notice about this invitation? We notice that those who reject the invitation will be rejected themselves. Jesus moves forward to speak about the place where those will go who do not gain entrance into the kingdom. So look at your Bible again in verse 28. Scripture says, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now the word weeping literally describes a wailing of loud grief with floods and floods of tears. Scholars tell us that the word gnashing speaks of a grinding of the jaw, biting in hostility and bitterness and indignation, spitefully snapping the teeth with rage, fury, and despair because nothing can be done. Think about that for a moment. In fact, think about that poor church member who thought their affiliation with the things of God would grant them entrance into heaven. They will stand at the gate and they will beg. However, they will be cast away by the Savior they never genuinely came to for salvation. And according to this scripture, there will be weeping and wailing. There will be screaming. There will be great intense pain. And then in a rage, the person will clench their jaw at the Lord, furious at the outcome of their own souls. Jesus is describing the final fate of those who did not respond to his universal invitation to faith. The destination of the rejecting will be hell for eternity. Notice verse 28. Again, in that place there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see, notice this, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom, but yourselves being thrown out. So the Lord Jesus describes those, by the way, who are listening to him are of Jewish descent. And whenever they perish and find themselves banging on the outside of the gates to get into the kingdom, they will actually see inside the kingdom Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the other prophets. These are the ones they thought because they were linked to, because of their own heritage and lineage, they thought because they were linked to Abraham that they were good to go. And yet their affiliation with Abraham and even the covenant promise of God in the Old Testament did not transfer to them because they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as a result, now they stand on the outside and they beat on the door, they beg entrance, and then in fury, as they are being thrown out, they get a glimpse of the very ones who had spent the Old Testament prophesying about the coming Messiah, speaking about Jesus. So they completely missed it, the whole thing. Now, for us today, consider the fact that someone uh, who's a Concord Baptist Church member, and yet they're not members of the kingdom 
of light. They don't know the Lord. They've joined this church, but they don't genuinely know the Lord. So just imagine for this Concordian who passes away, and they stand outside of the gate. And all of a sudden, they realize that they're not being granted entrance. And so they begin to beat on the gate. Lord Jesus, open up. Lord, open up the door. And yet the Lord says, depart. I don't know you, you evildoer. And then right before you are cast off into eternal rejection by God himself, facing wrath for your own sin, in that moment you get a glimpse into the kingdom whereby you begin to see some genuinely godly parents. Maybe some genuinely godly children who have grabbed hold of you, dad and mom, and tried to share with you the gospel message, and you just continue to say, I'm all right, I'm all right, I'm all right. I've been in church all my life. You have friends who are in the kingdom, and yet you are shut out. Neighbors in the kingdom, yet you are shut out. And who knows, the witnesses who stress to you the importance of repentance and faith in Christ, there are those who have told you the truth of the gospel, and that you're like, no, 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 I'm good to go, man. But there is no evidence of genuine life change. The Holy Spirit does not reside within you, and as a result, you will find the door shut in your face and your soul being cast into hell by the Lord himself. And you go to church. Now, y'all still out there? Last little statement about the grand invitation, and I promise the message is almost over. And this is good news. The grand invitation of the kingdom includes all people. You know what that means? That means it includes you who are in the building this morning. Sir, it includes you. Ma'am, it includes you. Teenager, it includes you. There is still an invitation. Look at 29 through 30 in your Bible. And they will come from east and west and from north and south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. Now, you and I uh, didn't hear this the way they heard it in Luke's gospel whenever they first listened. All right? When they first heard the Lord Jesus said, there's going to be people from east, west, north, and south all coming into the kingdom. They'd have been like, what? No, there's not. You know who lives in the north and the south and the east and the west? A bunch of Gentiles. They're not in the kingdom. They'd have thought Jesus had lost his mind. But remember, uh, what is cool? Well, let me give you the last little point here. But I, then I'll tell you what to remember. Y'all listening say yes. Here, here it is. The last little point. He says, and behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. This is a direct reference to the fact that there are some Gentiles who are the last to hear the gospel. And yet by faith they respond to the gospel, and they are made by grace to be first in the kingdom. Like, who are these people? A bunch of Gentiles. Hey, listen, y'all look at the preacher. Y'all looking at me? Look at me eyeball to eyeball real quick. I'm pointing at you, every one of you. Y'all know what y'all are? Unless you're Jewish in here, you a Gentile. That's what you are, a bunch of Gentiles. I is one too. Y'all listen? I know my name's Levi. Still a Gentile. <laughs> Just thought of that. And really and truly, if I back up for just a minute on this 
text of Scripture. I could even keep on pointing and say, not only are you and I a bunch of Gentiles, we're really just a whole bunch of birds. And in Luke chapter 13, Jesus, having taught you and I that he planted the truth of the kingdom in the gospel, he gave it to those disciples, and they began to disseminate it and share it with other people. And one day, we're just a bunch of birds who all of a sudden realized that the kingdom has grown up into this large tree, and we were invited to take refuge in the tree and come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So just birds who were kind of out there flying on their own who were looking for a place to settle found a nest in the tree which God himself provided in his son. We just flow in. We just fly in. <laughs> Nesting here. And the invitation's still open. The red carpet is still out. So for some of you who have waited, some of you who have said, I'll get on a little while, a little bit, I'll make a decision. Hey, man, uh, I waited too long to get on the ride at Six Flags. Missed it. Waited too long. Waited too long. Some of you, this close. Waiting too long. Here, here's what's scary to me. Are y'all listening? Say yes. What's scary to me is that I, I read these texts of Scripture, and I'm like, good, now i got to get up and preach that now. And i got to get up and tell the church that there are some people who are in church who are not in Christ. And as a pastor who oversees a flock uh, entrusted to him by the Lord, there is great sadness in my heart to think that some of you are in uh, the church, but you are not in Christ. Trusting in something, someone else other than Christ. Man, I don't know how else to plead with you. And that's the thing, that's the thing. I, I see in this text, there's a pleading from the Son of God, the Lord Jesus. He's inviting you to come. So his invitation's out there. Let's bow. Father, uh, speak to hearts now.